good morning and good morning to everyone at home as well. Uh, big welcome. We're here this morning to praise and worship God. A new year, a new start, if you like. And let's hope, well, we know that God's about doing new things. So this morning, we are here to praise, but I'm just going to read you Psalm 150. Praise the Lord. Praise God in his church. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him from the mighty deeds. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Praise him with the trumpet sound. Praise him with the lute and the harp. Praise him with the tambourine and dance. Praise him with strings and pipes. Praise him with the sounding cymbals. Praise him with loud clashing cymbals. Let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And I do believe God's talking of love over these next few months, that we love one another, we encourage one another, and that it's genuine. Don't just say it if we don't mean it. And if we can come across someone, sit aside of them, and give them some encouragement, pray for them. That would be good. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love. We thank you that you love us unconditionally. Mm. Lord Jesus, we know that sometimes we walk away, but you never walk away. You are always there with your arms open wide. Lord, thank you. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your hope. And thank you for Jesus. And Lord, this morning we come to praise you, to praise you for a new year, to, to ask you to show us how to show others the love of Christ in this area. And Lord God, we come before you because also this week we've probably said or done something we shouldn't have. And we know sometimes <laughs> when we've said and done. So we come before you with those thoughts. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. We bless you, Lord, that you are so easy to forgive. And we thank you. And Lord God, we ask that this week we might rejoice and we might show others the love of Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I'll just, if you'd like to take your seats, I'll tell you a little ditty. I like to tell you something that may have happened to me in the week, so I'm going to share it with you. Well, I was at the shop on Saturday morning with Heidi, and a little boy came in, who comes in quite often with his mum, and uh, about this size, he's gorgeous. Uh, um, and he came in and I said, Oh my word, you are pleasant this morning. And he said, I'm not pleasant. I went, Oh, oh, okay. So he said, And do you know I can be a very bad boy? And I thought, Oh, right. So Heidi very quickly covered and started talking to him. But it, it, even then, you know, kids to me, are so honest and open, aren't they? And if only we could be the same. Because how many times do we come into church or see each other in the supermarket and we'll say, how are you this morning? I'm fine. I'm fine. 
But actually, you know, you could be breaking up inside. Once was in a service and our pastor said to me, Are you all right, Tina? I went, no, not really. Well, he didn't know what to say to me at first. <laughs> because we're not always honest with each other like kids are. Children say it as it is. If they feel that they're going to be bad, they tell you, oh, I, I, I'm always, I can be bad, he said. You know, and I thought, you know, if only we, it says in the word, be like little children. That's what God wants. He wants us to take him as he's saying. Not make it all theologically hard, because if that's it, then that lets me out, because I'm not theological at all. But I am a Christian, and I love the Lord Jesus, and I know what he says, he'll do. He will do it. Heavenly Father... We thank you that we can boldly approach the eternal throne. And Lord Jesus, that's because of you. <coughs> we thank you that you came. We thank you that you came and was crucified, Lord, that you hung on that cross to give us the freedom to say, boldly we approach the eternal throne. Lord God, move among us, touch our hearts, people that may be hurting, people that are joyful, and people that are sorrowful. Lord, we ask that you will minister to each and everyone in this building, Lord. Speak to them, Father, by the strength of your Holy Spirit. Move among us, Lord. Down the chairs, touch us, your children. We are your children, and we are heirs of the kingdom. We thank you. We thank you. This year, take each one of us on, Father, to different things maybe, but also, Lord, as long as you are with us, whatever is our portion, you will strengthen us and you will be there for us. We pray for our community here. We pray for our church. We pray that, Lord Jesus, our church will spill out to where it should be, out there, Lord. Because the church is where we are, Lord. The church was where you was. And Lord God, we pray that we will move more out into the community and see more people come to know you as their saviour and change their lives, Lord. So we lift everything we've done this morning to you and we praise you, Jesus. We pray for Rob as he comes up, Lord. Pray for your anointing upon him, that Lord God, he will, by the power of your Holy Spirit, reach our hearts. In Jesus' name. Amen. Morning, everybody. Lovely to see so many here this morning, and of course, very warm welcomes to those who are uh, watching us on YouTube as well. Uh, it, it's good to be together. Um, thank you to the Sung Worship team. Do you know, singing really is good for us physically. I, I've read somewhere sometime. And laughter. Is, and laughter. Oh, well, we'll get well. Yeah, well, you provided both this morning, Tina, so thank you. Yeah, it's something to do with the heart rate and the breathing, and then the brain releases those feel good hormones. So um, it, is, it is good to sing. And of course, if we're singing to the Lord and praising Him, well, that's even better, isn't it? So. Thank you very much for, for the lovely start to the service this morning. 
Uh, I'd just like to say a big thank you to everyone who supported our coffee morning yesterday uh, in whatever way. We raised £96 for the Archer Project, which is a project that, for the homeless that's um, based in Sheffield Cathedral. So thank you very much for that. It was a good time together uh, and uh, we hope to do one again soon. Uh, we also raised £52 from the uh, Christmas card that was on this uh, window ledge here with people preferred to give uh, to charity rather than individual cards. So that will be going there as well and probably we'll top it up with a bit more. So thank you again for, for all uh, your donations and for all your support. So just a few notices for this coming week then. The, tomorrow, the prayer and meditation via Zoom, that's at 930 uh, the Art Play Group is back in action this week, uh, for, uh, 10 until 11.30, and then 1 o'clock until 2.30 in the afternoon. And the Lunch Club will be up and running at 12 o'clock, as usual, on Thursday. Please do invite friends and family. It's quite a good time together. We do appreciate that in, in the winter people are not quite... Um, as happy to come out when it's cold and then there's illness and that but it's uh, it's a good time just a, a couple of hours so please do tell uh, people that you think might like to join us it's only two pounds uh, and we just have a lovely time together next saturday the 13th of january uh, it's the men's breakfast down here at church at 8 30. please do invite family uh, invite friends men obviously <laughs> um, uh, and if you if you can give Michael or George or Mark numbers that would be really good but if you if it's a last minute thing that that's okay it doesn't matter and then next Sunday the 14th of January um, we have our church meal uh, at the Phoenix <laughs> oh, we've got only at least one enthusiastic person <laughs> Uh, it's at one o'clock, it's, it's the Phoenix Sports uh, Club at Brinsworth. If you're not sure where it is, um, just just ask me or someone else and we'll be able to tell you how to get there. It does start at one o'clock. It's two courses, £15, <coughs> uh, main course, carvery type meal and a, a, a sweet. If you're not able to go, if you could please let me know sometime during the week. Uh, if if you if you can't go or even on the day just just so we know who's who's coming uh, I'll need to give final numbers so if you want to go and you've not signed up if you could do that as well this morning that'd be really good uh, website Facebook page all regularly updated but as I say every week if anyone needs anything or they just want to chat about something just please get in touch with one of us So I'm just going to read two portions of scripture now uh, before uh, Rob comes up to speak to us. The first one is uh, in Mark chapter 2, verse 1 to 12. It's 837 if you're using the, um, the Pew Bibles. Uh, Jesus heals a paralytic. And when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. And they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. 
Now some of the scribes were sitting there, questioning in their hearts. Why does this man speak like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, We never saw anything like this. And then we just move on to Mark chapter 8, on page 844. And it's from verse 31, 31 to 38. Have I got a right one here? No. <laughs> Sorry. That's right. Mark chapter 8, verse 31 to 38. Sorry about that, Rob. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed, and after three days rise again. And he said this plainly, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, "Get Get behind me, Satan. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Bless you. Thank you, Carol. That's that's fabulous. And good morning, everybody. Happy New Year. If... uh, Oh, that was exciting. That was our audience participation. Um, Happy New Year, Philip. Um, Yeah, let's let's pray that the year to come is a blessing for for each and every one of us and uh, and others as well. Well, we have sung this morning already about some of the amazing names that Jesus is called. As Tina started off with Lord... And then we went into another song, which has a great big long list of them taken out of that passage in Isaiah. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Um, But that's actually just the tip of the iceberg in terms of the names that Jesus has got or is called. Has anyone got any favourites? Father. Nice one. Redeemer, yeah. Shepherd, Rock. Shepherd, Rock. Emmanuel, 
God with us, Counselor, Almighty One, the Alpha, the Omega, the author and perfecter of our faith, the Messiah, the Cornerstone, the Rock, the Lion, the Lamb. There's loads for a guy without a surname. He's got a lot of names. The list is pretty huge. Well, for the next five weeks, uh, we're going to be having a look at five um, names that uh, Jesus has got, that we know Jesus by, and we're going to try to explore the meaning behind them. And specifically, we're going to be thinking about times that Jesus is called the son of someone or other. Um, So specifically, for those five weeks, and this isn't all of them, these are just the five that we've chosen, We're going to be having a look at the Son of Man, the Son of the Most High, the Son of God, the Son of the Blessed One, the Son of David. But um, So that's kind of where we're going. But before we start, really, I want to ask a little bit of a question. You don't have to shout out. But what sort of image comes to mind when I say the word victory? Well, I guess if we were asking that 80 years ago, back in... January 1944, there would have been only one kind of victory on all of our minds at that point, and that would have been war, violence, military victory. Uh, And 80 years later, I think that kind of victory is probably also on the minds of a lot of people in the world. If you think about people in Russia, in Ukraine, in Israel, in Palestine, and all sorts of other places around the world. But there are other kinds of victory. Um, We're reasonably fortunate here in South Yorkshire in 2024. Military victory is probably quite a long way from our minds. Our experience of the emotions of victory and defeat are probably rather more indirect and muted than that kind of victory. I was thinking about this as I was putting this together. It might be the the moment when the kids finally go to sleep. Like, yes! Oversharing, maybe. Or maybe it's that realisation at the end of the day when you've done all those, like, grim tasks on your to-do list. And you, yes, I've done it. Successful day. Or maybe more indirectly, we experience that feeling of victory, a lot of us, through sport. Uh, Remember the the Women's Football World Cup semi-final back in August last year? The victory over Australia that allowed the Lionesses to get to the final. There were cheering spectators. There was that euphoria of victory in sport, wasn't there? Who knows, maybe we'll get more of that this summer uh, when Team GB represent uh, us in the Olympics in Paris. But we all love that sense of triumph, don't we? I think whenever we experience that feeling of euphoria of success, our our hearts are actually yearning for a a greater and a more glorious victory. I think our hearts are actually yearning for a a complete and utter victory in the whole of life, not just something that's transient and will, will pass. A victory over death and over evil forever. And you could go as far as to say that those experiences that we have Humanly, you know, the, the ticking off of your to-do list or, or the, the, the victory in sport or even military victory. Those experiences are just a, a pale shadow of what is to come 
in the next life, the real thing, the real victory that deep down in our souls we're all yearning for. And we've already sung this morning about the fact that as Christians we are assured of that final victory through Jesus, the Son of Man. But who is this Son of Man? That's the question that some people asked in John chapter 12. Who is this Son of Man? And that's the question that we're going to be having a think about and answering, hopefully, this morning, or at least getting a little bit closer to answering. I pray that we're going to be reminded that in Jesus, the Son of Man, through his suffering, through his death and through his resurrection, we can find um, a complete victory over sin and evil and death. And so this morning, we're going to be having a look at the title that Jesus gives himself, the Son of Man, and we're going to have a look at what that victory is, the victory that he wins and how he wins it. So firstly then, why does Jesus call himself the Son of Man? Well, I have discovered this week that, as with most things, it is quite easy to disappear down a rabbit hole of theological discussion. If you turn back to Mark chapter 2 and have a look at verse 12, you'll see Jesus says this, But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. Okay, so that's um, Mark chapter 2, verse uh, verse 10. And the first thing I hope that you can see about this, um, this little passage is that Jesus is using that term, son of man, to talk about himself. And actually, this is the first time in the Gospel of Mark that this happens. The phrase actually occurs, the Son of Man, actually occurs 81 times in the Gospels altogether. Um, Mostly it's quoting Jesus talking about himself. It happens 30 times in Matthew, 14 times in Mark, 25 times in Luke, and 12 times in John. But, rather frustratingly, Jesus doesn't explain why he uses this term. Why does he use this phrase? And at first reading, if you think about it, it's a bit baffling. It's a bit of a puzzle. It's a bit of an enigma. We get to this point in Mark's gospel, and Jesus whips out this phrase, the Son of Man. It's never happened before. And you kind of think, well, what's going on? Have we missed something? It's a little bit like me watching a film or a TV series. Just when I think I'm on top of the action... Something confusing happens, and I wonder if I've missed something, if I've dozed off, if I've kind of missed some crucial bit of information. And poor Jenny there will have her concentration broken when I go, what, who's that? Have we seen him before? And that's the sort of vibe that I get when I read Mark's Gospel, and I try to imagine what it was like the first time I read it. And I come across this Son of Man dude being mentioned. Who's that? Who is this Son of Man? Have we, have we seen him before? Have I missed something? And as I said, it's a question that has excited Bible scholars for quite a long time. Does it mean that Jesus is human, a Son of Man? Or the Son of a particular human, like the Son of a Man? Or does it mean that he's a prophet like Ezekiel? 
Uh, after all, for those of you that know uh, the book of Ezekiel, Ezekiel himself is called Son of Man 93 times in his book. Or is it a, a special fancy way that Jesus have got, uh, has got of just saying I or me? Well, as I said, lots of much cleverer people than me have discussed this at length in lots of books and podcasts and all sorts of stuff. So I'm not claiming to be able to give you any new insight or definitive answer, but I think that the most likely answer is to be found in chapter 7 of the Old Testament book of Daniel. And in Daniel 7, verse 13, we see Daniel say... I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. Okay, fair enough. But how can we be sure that it's this verse that Jesus wants us to think about when he uses that title later on, and not other bits of the Old Testament, like bits of Ezekiel, for example. How can we be sure of that? Well, later on in Mark's Gospel, there's another instance when Jesus calls himself the Son of Man, and he says this at his trial. You will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. It's almost a direct quote. Can you see that? It's almost a direct quote from Daniel 7. And I think that makes it pretty clear that Jesus wants us to think about Daniel 7 and the vision that's in Daniel 7 when he calls himself the Son of Man. But those of you that aren't just accepting everything I say and are really paying attention will have already spotted something about these two quotes. Because there is a little bit of a mismatch, isn't there? Daniel 7 talks about someone like a son of man, whereas Jesus himself calls himself the son of man. So what's going on there? Well, as with most things, once you start digging, I I actually think this is quite exciting, but you might need to be reminded of a few things about Daniel chapter 7. The book of Daniel is set over 500 years before the birth of Jesus, at a time when the people of God were oppressed uh, and suffering in exile. There seemed to be very little hope for them at that point. And the prophet Daniel is given a vision into that desperate situation. The vision shows very graphically why the people were suffering so much, and unfortunately for them, why they were going to continue to suffer for quite some time. In the vision, if you remember, huge grotesque beasts emerge from the underworld and they fight with each other for supremacy. And later on, it's explained to Daniel that these beasts represent the kingdoms of the world, tearing one another apart, waging war against the people of God. It's a very violent image of what life is like for the people of God still is, either literally when living under oppressive regimes or metaphorically when we're going through being battered and blown about by the trials of life. But thankfully, the vision in Daniel 7 doesn't just end there. 
because Daniel is also shown a vision of heaven. And in heaven there is a a calm determination to bring justice and judgment and victory against those beasts. The vision ends with this one like a son of man coming in victory with divine power and authority. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. Now, who is this one like a son of man in Daniel 7? If you just had Daniel 7 to look at, then you would see the explanation in verse 27. And the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. That means the people of God. His kingdom shall be an everlasting kingdom and all dominions shall serve and obey him. Okay, so Daniel 7 ends with Daniel being deeply troubled because his vision, the vision showed him that the suffering and persecution of God's people was going to get worse and it was going to be lengthy. And indeed, that lasted for hundreds of years. But the vision also showed him that in the end, there was hope. In the end, all the warring and violent and oppressive kingdoms of the world would be defeated and God's people would be part of a kingdom that would last forever. By the end of the book of Daniel, we are told that even the people who had died under the oppression would be part of this victorious kingdom. So this will be an complete and utter and everlasting comprehensive victory even over death. Okay? But despite all of that, there is a problem, and the problem is the people of God. The reason that they are in exile during the time of Daniel is their wickedness, their sin, their faithlessness towards their creator, their ongoing rebellion. So with all that background, enter Jesus, calling himself not someone like the Son of Man, but the Son of Man. And as he does that, he demonstrates this loving genius of our great, wonderful God. God looking at our sin and our weakness, noticing that there is nothing that we can do about it ourselves. And instead of giving up on us, he remembers his promises and he says, no, I'm going to come and fix that and I'm going to do it myself. In Jesus, God becomes the Son of Man. He takes on all the hopes and expectations of the people of God and he becomes the victorious people of God embodied in just one person. The victory of God's people in Daniel is pictured as one like the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven. And Jesus is just that figure. So back in the day, there was a thing called trial by combat. You sometimes see it in films and stuff. Where you could uh, fight your opponent to see who was in the right. Instead of having like a trial or something, like a legal trial, you could just fisticuff it out, except they used 
axes and swords and stuff, probably. But sometimes you could choose not to fight, but instead select someone else to do it for you, called a champion. If they lost, your life would depend on it. But if they won, it counted as if you'd done the winning yourself. So his victory would be your victory. And it's a little bit like that for Christians today, facing the trials of life and death. Jesus comes and he offers himself to be our champion. And because he is the son of man, victory is guaranteed. All we have to do is follow him and trust him and love him. And his victory just automatically becomes our victory. It's really marvellous, isn't it, when you think about it? So what kind of victory are we talking about? Well, you might think with all that imagery in Daniel 7 of violence and war, talk of me going on about trial by combat, that we're talking about a political or military victory. The people in Jesus' day may well have been thinking along those lines as well. They did seem to be hoping for a military leader like King David, for example, someone who would charge through their enemies and leave severed heads and stuff in their wake. But this is the second surprise. Jesus came to bring a very different and greater kind of victory than just a military one. Because Jesus' victory was nothing less than a victory over death and sin. And this now takes us back to Mark 2. We don't have enough time this morning to go into all the glorious details of the story. But we do have time to notice that the victory that Jesus came to bring was a victory over death and sin. At this quite early stage in Mark's gospel, Jesus has already demonstrated his authority over the forces of death and evil. In Mark 1, he has driven out evil spirits who wanted people to die. He's healed people who were at death's door. He has cleansed people who look like the living dead. And you can tell that the people who have gathered at this house that Carol read in Mark 2 are expecting more of the same. They are desperate to be a part of this because it's really amazing. And no one was less desperate than those friends who came carrying a paralysed man on a pallet. They are so desperate to be part of it that they go up onto the flat roof and they dig their way through to get to Jesus. And as they do that, you can imagine what they were hoping for and what they were expecting as they lowered their friend down towards Jesus. But look at what they get. Have a look in verse 5. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. And that response really does concentrate our minds on who Jesus is and what he's come to do. You can see from the passage that it upset the religious teachers who were there. And they correctly think, well, who can forgive sins but God alone? Healing, in Mark 1, they were kind of happy about. Maybe they should have noticed that the kind of healing that Jesus was doing was pretty extraordinary, but forgiving sins... Well, they know that this is a job for God. Only, job, only God can do this job. 
But Jesus wants to show everybody who he is and the kind of authority that he has. He wants to show everybody that there is a a connection between those two things as well. He has come to defeat death and evil, and he has come to defeat the power of sin, which lies behind it all. And he has come with divine authority to do both of those things because they're connected. So he asks the religious leaders a question in verse 9. He says, which is easier? To say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise and take up your bed and walk? Well, the answer to that, in case you're struggling, is that they are both equally impossible to do. None of us can do either of those things apart from through the power of God. Only God can forgive. And only God can do the kind of life-restoring miracles that Jesus had been doing. So Jesus is saying, do one and you can do the other. And, And so Jesus says, verse 10, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all. And they were all amazed. And look, they glorified God. We never saw anything like this, they said. I suppose in many ways it's, it's, it's really easy for us to pray to God. We take it for granted. It's really easy for us to pray to God and ask him to defeat our enemies and solve our problems. Oh, God, please solve this problem because life will be better. But that's to ignore that we are in many, many ways just our own worst enemies. And that is especially true when it comes to our relationship with God. We all have our sin and rebellion against him. Against him who is the very source of life. And because he's the very source of life and we're rebelling against him, that naturally puts us at the risk of death, doesn't it? It's that sin that needs to be dealt with before any sort of life can be restored. And can this sin be something that Jesus can deal with, with just a word? If we, if we only had this passage, then we might think so. He just says, get up and walk. But read further on into Mark's Gospel, and this, this is why Carol read the second passage. You'll realise that there is so much more to it than just a word. How does Jesus, the Son of Man, win his victory over death and sin? And I promise this is my last point. This is a victory won through his suffering, his death and his resurrection. Just turn with me quickly back to Mark chapter 8. Remember what the big problem is for all of us? The immediate problem facing God's people is that we need rescuing from oppression and death at the hands of our enemies. But the deepest problem is that God's people are so caught up in their rebellion against God that something needs to be done to sort all of that out first. So how is Jesus, the Son of Man, going to bring about a victory in the face of all that mess? Verse 31, Mark 8. He began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed, and after three days rise again. So this then is the drastic solution of God. This is what the Son of Man came to do. 
Basically, the plan is for Jesus as the Son of Man to take all of the suffering, all of the death, all of the guilt, all of the sin, take it all upon himself in his death. And then in three days he can rise in victory. And that's the wonderful opportunity on offer from God. Take it or leave it. Believe it or not. I guess most of us here have taken it and believed it, at least to some extent. But God encourages us to to cling on to it and, and to go further and deeper with it. But if we haven't accepted that Jesus' courage and determination will bring us victory, then why not? And, and as I finish this morning, let's just put our thoughts back to Mark 2 and that group of friends with the mat. They were hoping for something extraordinary, something beyond their wildest dreams. But what this story demonstrates is that despite showing remarkable faith, their aspirations, their dreams were too small. Because he got much more than just being able to walk. He got a bigger victory. So what are your hopes and aspirations? What kinds of victory do you want to be part of? Are your hopes and your dreams too small? So next time you pump your fists with joy that the kids have finally gone to sleep or that you've ticked a horrible DIY job off your list or next time your team wins big against a local rival, next time you experience that moment of euphoria, just use that tiny shadow of victory as a reminder to remember This great victory, that Jesus, the Son of Man, has won a victory for us over sin and death. And that Jesus won that victory through his death and resurrection. Before I hand over to David, uh, let's let's just pray. Almighty God, We think of Paul's words in 1 Corinthians. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we pray with thanks to you this morning that Jesus, the Son of Man, has dealt with sin and death forever and for all. And as we ponder those words and events in Mark's Gospel, in the book of Daniel. We pray that you keep us close to the Son of Man. We pray that you keep us following him and keep us loving him alone. And Father, we ask this for our salvation and for your glory. Amen. Thank you very much. David, over to you. Thank you.
Thanks, Rob. As we gather round the Lord's table, remembering, there's a piece for the floor and the mice, remembering of what Christ has done. As we continue in this journey, we're reminded that only a few weeks ago we've been journeying through Advent as we come and we focus upon the stable where Christ was born, the light of the world who came into this world, the light who came into the darkness. And of course, in a couple of months, we'll be focusing again upon the cross of where Jesus was nailed to. But as Rob just reminded us, where he victoriously rose again three days later in the power of the resurrection. Because of all what God has said and all what God has done and will continue to do came to fruition. We're able to look back at that. We're able to be a part of that and recognize of the one who came, this, the son of man. The son of the most high God. The son of God. The son of David. And so on and so forth. All the other names that we call him. But the name that matters to us most of all is Jesus Christ as Nazareth. Yeshua, Yahweh, I am, is the one that came. For that we can have no doubt. This historical fact. I know sometimes people struggle with who Jesus is. There's no need to go theological, as Tina said earlier. Simply open your hearts and freely receive as to the one who came, the one who is Jesus Christ, the one who we're reminded in his word, again with friends, the coming of the Son of Man. And he was there with his disciples, Jesus, the radical pioneer, who changed things and brought about transformation. They were celebrating Passover Jesus sent Peter and John saying, go and prepare the Passover for us that we may eat it. And then there's this dialogue of where will we go and who will we see? And he tells them exactly where to go and where to find it. And when the hour came, he reclined at table with the apostles with him. And he said to them, I've earnestly desired to eat the Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And then here comes the transformation. And he took a cup. And when he had given thanks, he said, take this and divide it amongst you yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and he gave it to them saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Let's pray. Glorious Heavenly Father, we may not be able to comprehend the, the lengths and the depths that you went to to bring about a restoration and a transformation of your people. And yet here we find ourselves as we've just journeyed through Advent of that preparation, that reminder of the coming of the one who would bring light into the darkness. 
And as we journey through these next few weeks, we'll be reminded again as we prepare in that Lenten process of the death that had to come about, that ultimate sacrifice that brought about the freedom of death. And Lord, we're reminded that as you gathered in that upper room, and as you broke bread and as you drunk the wine, you brought about, again, transformation. And you simply ask us to do this in remembrance of you. But also with the assurance that we look forward to to the day that you will come again and that we will drink it anew with you in the kingdom that is established. So glorious Father, we give you thanks this morning that we can be counted free, that we can be counted as sons and as daughters, as heirs and graces of that eternal inheritance, but also that we can be found at your table, eating and drinking in remembrance of you. So Lord, by your spirit, come and bless us this morning as we do just that, in remembrance of you, now and forever. Amen. And so, no different as Jesus, he took the bread and when he broke it, he gave thanks and said that this is my body which is for you. Eat this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying that this is the new covenant, which is my blood, which is poured out for you. Do this in remembrance of me. For as often as we eat of the bread and drink of the cup, we do so until the Lord comes again, proclaiming in his death, but not only that, but in his resurrection as well, for all to come. So I simply want to invite you this morning to come forward and receive don't worry for those that aren't able to come up i'll bring this to you but come and receive the bread and eat it as you receive it and then take a cup and return to your seats and we'll drink together as a sign of our unity in the blood and the love of our lord jesus christ so come forward and receive of the bread and receive of the cup in the name of jesus And so, as we recall, that on that night, Jesus took the cup, and after supper he gave thanks, saying, This is my blood, which is a new covenant, and I will not drink of it again until I can drink it afresh with you, and the kingdom of God is established. Let us drink in remembrance of him with thankful hearts. Amen. Heavenly Father, as we continue in this time of worshipping you, we can be thankful that we can be found at your table, that you feed us and nourish us, not only physically but spiritually also. Lord, we thank you that we can be counted free, that you will guide our steps in this new day, in this new week, but also within this new year. Lord, we earnestly want to praise and glorify your name. As we've heard this, this morning already, would you lead us out into the places and to the people that need your touch, that need to hear of your name, 
that you would reveal yourself to them in power and in all authority. That, Lord, that they would rise and they would get up and they will go themselves in the name of Jesus. Lord, we want to see your kingdom grow. We want to see your kingdom establish evermore. Not only within this church and this community, but at wider afield and across the world. Lord, in these days of trouble, we seek your peace. In a world of endless violence, we seek to the end of wars. That as your word says, that weapons will be turned into plowshares. That the violence would fall away. That there would be nothing but love upon the people's hearts. Not only for one another, but also to worship you. Lord, in a world that is torn and ravished, would you bring about healing? Would you continue to assure us of that hope? But also, would you come and would you show the most righteous way, your way, that all would live in peace, that all would live in truth? Lord, we think of this country also. For all that is going on and for the year ahead and, and for the things that will take place. Lord, we pray that you will speak into the hearts of leaders, of decision makers. We pray, Lord, that you would bring about a new way, a most excellent way. Again, we could be reminded of your word where it says, do not fear, but look to the one who has come and who will come again. Look to follow the right path. And Lord, we think of those closer to home and closer to our hearts, those people that we know, those that may be struggling at this moment with with health, with mobility, with loneliness, with heartache. Lord, we lift them to you and we ask in your name, would you be an ever real presence to them? Would you support them and guide them, love them and hold them? Enable them not to fear, but to look to you, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. Lord, would you speak deeply into their hearts and would you guide them for those that may be facing uh, appointments or operations. Lord, would you strengthen and would you heal? For those that are in hospital, Lord, would you bring about recovery and wholeness? For those, Lord, who grieve, would you Enable them the space and the time to do just that. But in their time of grief, would you comfort them? And again, bring about a wholeness within their whole soul that only you would be able to fulfill. And Lord, as we look out to this new year, to new adventures, would you just reveal your plans to us Plans that will not harm us, but prosper us. 
plans that will see your kingdom grow and people come to know you more. Lord, we ask all this in your name, not in ours and not in our way, and not of a human understanding, but of that divine authority. That, Lord, you would speak in the still, small, quiet voice, that we would hear and we would understand, and we would hear through others. Lord, we long to hear you, we long to see you. May we go forth from this moment doing just that. May we hear of you, may we see of you, may we share of you to those that we would journey with and come across until the day that you come and call your people to glory. We ask this it's in your name and for your glory, now and forevermore. Amen. When Rob was speaking, particularly when um, they lowered the guy down and uh, Jesus said, forgive, your sins are forgiven. I w running through my mind was when I asked Jesus into my life and he forgave my sins. But like the guy, I got more than a bargain for if good Yorkshire word for you. But um, because when Jesus comes in and forgives your sin, he also changes us. He heals us as he healed the paralytic. And anybody who hasn't had that experience this morning, then please see David or Rob or somebody. Uh, and, you know, come and be touched, be cleansed, but also be healed.